Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter number 23. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 1. Acts chapter 23, beginning in verse number 1. Paul is, uh, we've been looking at the life of Paul, and Paul has uh, been sent by God to the Gentiles. God has spoken to Paul after his conversion, told him he wanted to go to the Gentiles, which he did. Paul did exactly uh, what God had told him to do. He'd been on three missionary journeys. While he was on that third journey, God told him, he said, listen, I want you to take up an offering. And as you take up that offering, I want you to take it back to Jerusalem. He did that. And when Paul got back to Jerusalem with the offering, uh, he was received with the offering very well. But then there was some religious people that were there that did not like the fact that this offering came from from Christian Gentiles. And they got very, very offended. So much so that now we find Paul, he's been back in Jerusalem for 12 days. He's presented this offering. They received the offering. But then all of a sudden the religious leaders started condemning him. And already up until this point, there had been three mob riots And Paul has uh, been thrown in prison. It looks like when you read the context and see the overall picture of chapter 21, 22, and then come to verse number 23, it really looks like things are going great for Christians, right? Uh, Let's look at verse number 1 and notice what the Scripture tells us. The Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. To strike him right there on the face, right in the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God will will smite you, you white, whited wall. I'm reading from the King James here. Whited wall, obviously, is a term that we find in Scripture on two other occasions. We'll look at that here in just a few moments. Whitewashed walls. He says, God's going to hit you, you whitewashed wall, for sitting thou to judge me after the law, and you can, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? People are saying, you're going to say that to the high priest of God? Then Paul said, I will not, brethren, that he was the high priest, For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. And when he had said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducee says, there is no resurrection, neither angels nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed to both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, 
We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when, the, when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. As a Christian, the outward expression of our life should be in line with our inward conviction. I want you to think about that statement just for a moment. Because Paul's life, the conviction of his heart, lined up with the way he lived his life. And here we are in 2021, and that's the question we need to ask ourselves. The conviction of our heart, does it line up with the way that we live our life? We can look at Paul's life and say, absolutely, Paul did. His outward expression of his life always lined up with his inward convictions. <clears throat> Those of us that have children. Uh, a lot of times our children might uh, uh, do something that uh, we scratch our head and go, what were you thinking? And yet the fact of the matter is our kids think that uh, they're making the right decision. Now, I can remember growing up, <clears throat> my dad, I had a, uh, I had a vehicle. My, one of my first cars was a, it was a five-speed. Uh, and this little five-speed vehicle that I had uh, was a Plymouth Horizon. I can remember going home from school one afternoon. I did not know that my dad was following me home. And there was a back road that you can get on. And during, on this back road, they had this little hump there. And if you hit that thing right, you could get a little bit of air. And uh, uh, I, I knew where it was. I'd known where it was for a long time. I, I went that way several times just enjoying the ride and trying to get a little, a little air time. The only problem is you had to, you had to go over this four-way to get there. And, and it, was, uh, it could have been very, very dangerous. No, nobody was ever on that road. Well, my dad was following me, and uh, he followed me that, and he saw me do that. And as soon as I pulled in the driveway, he pulled in right behind me, obviously snatched the keys away from me and uh, said, what were you thinking? Well, um, I told him, I don't know. But I really do know what I was thinking. I was wanting to get a little air in the vehicle. But I, I don't know what I was, it was a foolish mistake. It was, and I apologized. I got the car taken away from me from two, for two weeks. But what, what happened was, the way that I was living my life was contrary to the convictions in my heart. What, what do you mean? I know that I should have stopped at that four-way. I know I should have obeyed the traffic laws. But I wanted to do things my way and not the way of the law. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you, we're living in a culture and a day-to-day -day where we have this temptation to live the way we want to instead of living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul always lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 23, I want you to see with me Paul and the example that he gives on how he lived his life. He lived his life with such tenacity, with such obligation, with such intentionality, that the consistency of Paul's dedication to Christ is seen here in this passage of Scripture by four life principles that we would do well to adopt. I want to give you Paul's four life principles 
in dedicating his life to Jesus Christ and being consistent in his relationship with the Lord. Number one, here's the first one I want you to notice in the text. The first life principle we see in Paul's life is that he had a life sold out to Christ. He had a life sold out to Christ. Let me call your attention to verse number one again. Notice what Paul says. And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I would love for you to underline the term men and brethren. Paul is not talking to Christians here when he says brethren. He's talking to fellow Jews. He is simply saying, if you would, fellow countrymen, we come from the same lineage. We come from the same culture. We're from the same heritage. And then, I want you to underline that word good conscience before God until this day. Because what Paul is saying here is he's saying, brothers and countrymen, listen, we have some shared beliefs and I just want you to know that I'm standing in front of you and I'm not just blowing hot air. My life has been sold out to God. My words, my heart, my actions, all of my life, I believe I have lived in good conscience before God until this day. Till this present day, even though I wasn't in Jerusalem with you this whole time, even though I was out on these missionary journeys, I was doing God's will. As God is my witness, he's saying, I have a good, clean conscience before God. Now, when you look at the life of Paul, you can see that Paul's life in following Christ is defined by three words. Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, the first word is appointment. When Paul got saved, Paul sold his life out to God, buzzard. And upon selling out to Jesus Christ, he clearly understood that everywhere he went in obedience to God, it was a divine appointment of God. Wherever he went, it was a, there was no happenstance, there was no coincidence As a matter of fact, when you go back to Acts chapter 22, in verses 6 through 16, Paul is telling his story about how he met Jesus and the difference that Jesus made in his life and how God called him out of the darkness of religiosity and into the glorious light of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. And that is the difference in our culture today. We've got a lot of religious people. I mean, there is, this world is filled full of people that know God. But there are not many people that fear God. We are called as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ as Christians to ones that love God, but we also fear God. And in fearing God, we know that there is an appointment that God has given to us. And that's all Paul's saying. Paul says, look, I fear God. I recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and God has given me a divine appointment. And that divine appointment is seen in chapter 22 in verse number 21. You should be able to see it. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 21 of Acts chapter 22. He says, and he said unto me, that's Paul saying, God said to me, depart, for I will send you the far hence unto the Gentiles. God told Paul, your assignment that I'm giving you, is I am appointing you 
to go to the Gentiles and share the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with them. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, this appointment that Paul has is the same appointment you and I have. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and 20 gives us our mandate. It gives us our appointment. While we are living, while we are going, while we are working and living our lives, we are appointed unto God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. To let them know that this is not about religion. It's not about fulfilling some kind, of, some kind of ecclesiastical obligation, just coming to church and exercising your song, your vocal cords, and, and looking at the Bible just to look at it for looking's sake. No, we have an appointment, and that appointment is to tell others about Jesus Christ. You sum his life up like that. Number two, there's a second word that sums up Paul's life. Watch this. Oh, this is, this is where it gets really, really interesting. The second word of Paul's life, you can sum it up with affliction. Affliction. Paul comes to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, gets an appointment from God, and then suffers affliction everywhere he goes. When you look at Paul's life, you see that even though he had these appointments, we see he was still shipwrecked. Paul was still beaten. Paul was still imprisoned. Paul was still accused. Paul was still threatened. Paul's life, after coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, is not easy. Listen to me, dear friend. When you come to Jesus Christ, everything doesn't just turn to sunshine and roses. There are still difficulties. There are still hard times. There are still trials. There is still suffering. There is still uh, this issue of accusations and threatenings. We're living in a day where we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, and we find that you still get diseases. You, you come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, and you, you, you still have marriage problems. Can Jesus fix a broken marriage? Yes. Can Jesus heal a sick-bound body? Yes. Can Jesus still work miracles today? Yes. Then why do we have these afflictions in our life? God wants to use them for His glory. For you see, not only can you sum, sum up Paul's life with an appointment and also with affliction... But you also can say the third word that sums up Paul's life is abundance. The word abundance. Even though he had trials, even though he had uh, these challenges in his life, he always had an attitude that God was blessing him abundantly. And this is the sentiment that we find in Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Well, I don't have time to turn there, but I want, to, I want to read it to you. Listen to what Paul says regarding the tribulations and trials. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Which the, which the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are afflicted, 
It is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same afflictions that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul simply says the reason why we have these afflictions that come into our life is so that we can use that for the abundance of God's grace towards others. So the reason why you may be going through that difficulty in your marriage is because God's got a plan for you to help others get through those difficult times as well. For those of you that are going through a terrible, maybe even a terminal illness, God is using that so that you can comfort others. God did not put you through the difficulties of your life for no reason. So in application to my own life, when I look back, there are seasons in my life, and there are times, I want to be honest, there are times where I think, man, you know what, I wish, I wish sometimes that my biological father and my mother got married, and they both were able to raise me like a normal family should be with a mom and a dad. Can I get a witness right there? A normal family needs to have a mama and a daddy. That's another sermon. I don't need to jump on that horse and ride it. <clears throat> but the bottom line is, see me this, there are seasons in my life where I look back and I, I've thought about, man, what if I was raised, my, my biological uh, father's in Osborne, I, my, I'm a Robertson, I was raised by Robertsons. Now, what would my life be like if I was an Osborne? And I think back on that. And if I think too hard and I dwell too much on it, I could have myself just a good old pity party. But because I've been born again, because I am a Christian, because Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me, I look back on my life and I can say with confidence that God gave me the parents he wanted me to have. And I have learned a great deal through that. And so looking back over my life, God allowed that to happen, and in allowing that to happen, it's taught me a great deal. And now I can't tell you the number of times where I've been encouraged to come and speak and to talk and to counsel and and just to share my story with others. And that story revolves around forgiveness. I would not have had that experience had God not put me through the trial that he put me through. So brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, the reason you're in the trial that God has put you in is so that your inward conviction matches your outward display of how you live your life. And if you're truly born again, if you're truly saved, our outward expression should always be in line with our inward conviction. R.C. Sproul once said this, You may not always live out what you profess, but you will always live out what you believe. In thinking about what R.C. Sproul said in looking at Paul's life, Paul lived out what he believed. And in living out what Paul believed, he did so with a good conscience. The idea here, it speaks of the will. He's simply saying here that it's connected, if you would, with our will. That we lived our lives in such a way that we purposely, intentionally followed our heart. And the most important thing in Paul's heart was Jesus Christ. And so he was not going to waver when it came to Jesus. 
So when he was presented with an opportunity to reject Jesus Christ, he wouldn't do it. And that's what got him in the most trouble. He was asked to conform to the culture. And Paul said, no, I'm not going to conform to the culture. I'm going to conform to Jesus Christ. And he says, with a good conscience, with a purpose action of my will, I have willfully followed after God and conformed into the image of Christ and not the image of a religious culture. Now I want you to think about that by way of application this morning. What is our culture wanting us to conform to? Our culture is wanting us to conform to hedonism. Our culture is wanting us to conform in our society to things that are contrary to the Word of God. It is wanting us to conform to this issue of of acceptance to things that are, are an abomination to God Himself. And while in the past it has been true, and it has been stated as truth, and it has been lived out as truth, well, you, you Christians, we know more about what you're against than what you're for. Well, yes, that has been true in the past. But I'm telling you right now, if you just live for Jesus Christ, you're going to be against the world. And so Paul said, look, as an act of will, my conscience before God and before you, I've been sold out to God. Here's my question for you, dear brothers and sisters. Have you been sold out to God? Or have you conformed into the image of this culture? Number two, here's the second thing very quickly. The second thing I want you to notice is Paul had a second life principle that he lived by, and that is this, a life standing against corruption. A life standing against corruption. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. Watch this. Watch what Paul does here. This is fascinating. He says there in the text, he says, And and the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to strike him, smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite you, you whitened wall. For sittest thou judge, uh, to judge me after the law, and you commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I would not revile God's high priest, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now here's the question, what in the world is happening here? Uh, Paul has just been punched square in the mouth by the command of Ananias. Ananias is in Jerusalem. He's the high priest at this time. Ananias has been known history. You can go back and look at history and see. Ananias was a haughty, violent, gluttonous wreck. He was as, as more of a religious fanatic as you'll ever see. He absolutely hated Christians. In fact, he didn't like his own Jewish uh, nationality for for that matter. As a matter of fact, when you look at the history of Ananias, uh, you would see later in his life, about AD 66, he's going to get assassinated by some Jewish radicals because of his pro-Roman affiliation. He's not a good guy. But what makes this interesting is that Acts chapter 23 takes place at about AD 56, 57, 58, somewhere around in there. Ananias has been the high priest since we know A.D. 47. So he has been the high priest for 10 to 12, 13 years. 
He's been the high priest. And so that tells me here there is absolutely no way that Paul uh, did not know that he was the high priest. Paul knew. Paul knew that this man was the high priest. He, he knows. And so the text is not saying, Paul's not saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize he was the high priest. That's not what Paul's saying at all, not, not in the slightest. He knew what Ananias looked like. Ananias is, it, 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 it is standing before this man that's robed in his regalia. He looks like the high priest. He is the high priest. Paul knows he's the high priest. And Paul here <clears throat> is not apologizing. It would have been very obvious to Paul that this is Ananias the high priest. He knows exactly who he, who he is. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying here, he says, if you want to start acting like a high priest, I'll start treating you like a high priest, but you're not acting like a high priest, and I'm not going to give you the respect of a high priest because you are contrary to that. Paul is standing up against the corruption that's happening in this religion. Why? Because it is this very religion that's pushing against Christianity that says Jesus is not the Messiah. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are here. And the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection at all. The Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah at all. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees had this corruption that had taken place. And the corruption was against Jesus Christ. And Paul was not going to stand for it. He says, I am not going to stand here and give you respect because you killed Jesus Christ. And he's the Messiah. He said, I would never, I would never disrespect a man that truly followed after God's law. Because if you truly followed after God's law, it would lead you to salvation. It would lead you to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is basically saying here that there's this clear disconnect from your religion and the way that you're acting in your heart. You say in your heart that you love God, but the disconnect is the way you live your life. You come up with rule after rule after rule, and there is no consistency in your walk with God. And Paul stood up for that. As a matter of fact, Paul even goes on to say here in the text, he uses this term, he says, you white, whitened walls. Uh, we find in the Bible that there are two references to this white, whitened or whitewashed walls. One is found in Ezekiel chapter 13 in verse number 10, now all the way through verse number 16. You can write that down and read it. It uses this imagery of a whitewashed wall that portrays something that looks good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. Something that looks wonderful on the outside but it's devastated on the inside. Jesus picks up on that in Matthew chapter 23, and he calls the Pharisees whitewashed walls. He says, your religion looks good on the outside, but you're rotten in your heart. Because your heart has never been cleansed from your sin. And so I think there's a real important lesson here for you and I. I think the lesson when we look at it is, if we're going to have a life standing against corruption, we got to make sure that we're not whitewashed walls. we got to make sure that we are not looking good on the outside, but have 
deterioration and rot on the inside. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that in the culture that we live in, there's a lot of self-proclaimed preachers that are out there today saying, hey, they're the man of God, and they believe in this, and they believe in that, and they believe in all these different things. In fact, I was reminded of this this morning, uh, that, uh, that even one of the candidates that's running out there today calls himself a pro-choice pastor. Really? Where's that in Scripture? Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but for me in my house, I just want to serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, we've got to stand against corruption. And in standing against corruption, we ourselves got to make sure that we're not whitewashed walls. Paul lived a life standing against corruption. Number three, there's a third thing here. Don't miss this. Watch this. Verses 6 through 10, i got to hurry. He also had a life living to preach the truth. Paul had a life living to preach the truth. Notice what the Scripture says, beginning in verse number 6. The Bible says, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. And I am called into question. And when he had said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees says that there was no resurrection, neither angels nor spirits, or the Pharisees, but the Pharisees confessed to both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose this great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should be pulled to pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force among them and bring him to, into the castle. You see that here in the text, they've actually got Paul and they're pulling him back and forth. And, and if they don't do something, they're going to rip him to pieces. This is it. In Paul's mind, this is it. It's over for me. And Paul's desire, his life principle was not only to have a life sold out to Christ. His life principle was not a life standing against corruption and standing for the truth of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Paul also had a life principle of living to preach the truth. And he took an opportunity in the text to say, there is a resurrection and I believe in the resurrection. And I have been appointed by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees here at this turn took Paul's side on that and began to go to war with the Sadducees. What's fascinating here is we find that uh, in understanding the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how these religious sects actually came about. It's a, fa- it's a fascinating study. On the one side you had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees really came to prominence during the 400 years of silence in between Malachi and Matthew. So if you'll remember, here is a season where God was not speaking through prophets. God was not speaking. There was complete silence. From Malachi to Matthew, it's a a period of about 400 years, nobody heard from God. 
It was the spiritual dark ages of the Bible. And what happened? The Pharisees, seeing this, rose up to power. And at their core, they were very pious. They were this elite religious leaders. They had this great emphasis on keeping rules and regulations. And they, li- and they liked the rules and the regulations so much that they would use the ones of the Torah, that is the first five books of the Bible, and then they would add to them. And they just kept adding and piling upon rules and rules and rules and rules. So much so that they became indoctrinated, if you would, with all these rules. Let's just keep piling up these rules. And so you contrast that with the Sadducees. The Sadducees rose to power, and they disagreed with the Pharisees. And they became very educated, and they loved to debate, and they loved to think logically. And and for them, the crux of the matter was that they denied the idea of the resurrection from the dead. They said, you just can't do it. Nobody, nobody has ever come back to life again, except for Jesus. And we see the prophecies that are contained in the very Word of God, even in the Torah. Where God proclaimed that and they still rejected that and only took on what they wanted to take on. So both of them, both of these, even though they opposed Christianity, Paul saw in his creativity and in his, uh, in his um, desire to preach the truth, put them against one another by saying, I believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees say, oh, wait a minute. We believe in the resurrection too. And the truth that Paul revolved his life around was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he wanted to make sure that the main thing that they clearly understood is that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and it is our sins that have separated us from God. And the only way to come back to God is we have to come through Jesus Christ. And the way we come to Jesus Christ is by confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that God rose from the dead and that He is the Messiah. It revolves around the resurrection. Paul lived a life to preach the truth. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that there's a lot of talk going on in our culture today about religious truth. And it has moved us into arena, an arena where we even want to be able to say, well, let, let's just find where we agree. And let's just come together where we agree. And, and let's just fellowship together. If, if Mormons believe that there's only one God, then, then let's, let's fellowship with the Mormons. If Jehovah Witnesses believe there's only one God, let's, let's fellowship with them. If Islam, let's fellowship with him, with them. And what we see in Paul's life here is not fellowshipping with the Pharisees and Sadducees, but focusing on the main thing. And the main thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while these both opposed Christianity... Paul found common ground in the resurrection to preach the truth. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that there is a common ground that you and I can find with anybody that we talk to, and it revolves around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive, and he's the only one 
that can save sin. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. We find Paul lived his life and a life principle that he preached the truth. Here's the last one, and I've got to close. I'm out of time. Number four. The fourth principle we see in Paul's life in this text is that a life listening for the voice of God. A life listening for the voice of God. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 11. The scripture says, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. I, I love it that God won't come when you want him, but he will always show up right on time. Paul in this moment in his life, had ignited this debate and it got heated so quickly and so fast that they had to actually take him back to prison before they ripped him apart. And now, all of a sudden, watch this, he's in prison and he has to stay in prison for a solid day and he didn't hear anything from God. Look at what the Bible says again, verse 11. The Bible says, and the night following, which means he spent 24 hours without hearing from God. Brothers and sisters, how long has it been before you heard from God? Paul had taken a stand. He shared from his life experience that he's been sold out to Jesus Christ. He has this life that's been standing against corruption. He's, his life principles that he preaches the truth. And where does it land him? In jail. Paul must have been discouraged at this moment in his life. Paul had to be. This is it. Paul was probably, this is it. And remember the desire of his heart. He said it just a couple of chapters ago. Paul said, I have got to go to Rome. I've got to get the gospel to Rome. And now he finds himself almost ripped to pieces by the Pharisees and Sadducees. Lands back in jail and is sitting there in the quietness of that prison for 24 hours. And then, the Bible says, the Lord stood by him. He may not come when you want him, but he'll show up right on time. And I want you to notice that he didn't send an angel. He did not send a messenger. He didn't send another Christian. The Lord stood by him himself. And notice what he says there in the text. The Bible says, as the Lord stood by him, he said to Paul, Be of good cheer. Don't be discouraged, Paul. Paul, don't be sad. Look at your life. You've been beaten. You've been accused. You've been threatened. You've had rocks thrown at you. You've been, you've been imprisoned. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be left for dead. You're going to be bitten by a snake. You're going to be accused. Don't, don't, look, I know you're discouraged, but be happy. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Did you see what happened here in the text? Paul, in listening for the voice of God, got the desire of his heart. 
the desire of God's heart, or the desire of Paul's heart, was to go to Rome. That was the desire of his heart. He, that's where he's shooting for. He's got to get the gospel to Rome. He's discouraged because he's stuck in this prison in Jerusalem after he's obeyed God. He's he just been obeying God. And God simply says to him, don't be discouraged, Paul. You've been faithful in testifying to me. You're going to make it to Rome. And that's exactly the shot in the arm that Paul needed. To give him the courage and to give him the strength to take the gospel to Rome. Now, what's, what's going to be fascinating is the way he's going to get there. It's not all going to be just him jumping on Delta Airlines and flying over there. He is in for a rude awakening. But the scripture says the Lord stood by him. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning as we've looked at this passage of Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ is born again children of God. The Lord is with us. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there's where the Spirit of the Lord is. The Lord Jesus is with us today. We may be frustrated at our culture. We may be frustrated at the direction that our country is going. And we may be standing against corruption because we're sold out to Jesus Christ and our life is preaching the truth and we don't want to be whitewashed walls. We've got to stay consistent in listening for the voice of God. And the voice of God tells us in a very loud voice, fulfill the Great Commission. So we find that even in this pandemic, we've got to do something. We've got to get the gospel out. So let's continue to work towards having our wild game dinner. Let's continue to work towards having our ladies night out. Let's continue to work towards having our evangelistic emphasis. Let's not give up. Let's ask God to give us the desires of our heart because he's with us. He's with us, church. And let's not be discouraged. Let's be encouraged. Be of good cheer. The Lord stands beside us. And if God go before us, who can stand against us? Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Acts chapter 23 and the lessons that we learned from Paul's life. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, now that as we go into this time of invitation, that you'd receive glory, you'd receive honor, and you'd receive praise. If there be someone here today, Someone maybe that's struggling, Father. They're struggling with uh, being whitewashed. They look good on the inside, but they know inside they're rotten. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would come to you. I pray, God, that they would seek forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I ask you in the name and through the blood of Jesus, if there's someone here, a believer, a Christian today, maybe that's backslidden, that's away from you, that today would be the day that they come back home, that they come to you. Lord, you tell us in the word of God, you, you tell us, Father, that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in, your, in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know the free pardon of sin, in the name of Jesus, I pray they get saved today. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.